don't know why. And I think we just decided to do it before we did the congregational meeting. So this is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth with our Tuesday morning Bible study. We have uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We are now in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> so we need to talk about this first section. Uh, this passage of scripture is used in a lot of bad ways. Um, and, and, I, and I really just kind of need to make sure that we, we have a good discussion about it. Uh, so first off, <clears throat> one of the things that Dr. Carter points out is that what Jesus does in the Gospel of Matthew is he creates alternative households uh, of God's empire. At the, at the, at the time, <clears throat> you have a different understanding of, of um, how do I say this? The idea of man and woman was not something they thought of. <clears throat> they did think of it as a legal document, but it was more of a, a land ownership thing. Um, I mean, even the, the name for women is uh, kind of like earth uh, in Hebrew, for example. Um, so for to talk about divorce in 20th century language is not appropriate. Let's put it that way. Uh, or even 19th century understanding of divorce. Because in the Jewish world, in the Torah, in order for one to be divorced, for example, all the man had to do, as I said that, as, is he had to proclaim it publicly three times. You are no longer my wife. You are no longer my wife. You're no longer my wife. That's it. As long as he was in, in a public place, she was then cast aside uh, and then treated as a, uh, basically kind of like a harlot uh, from that point on. He didn't have to have a reason. Uh, if a woman wanted to divorce her husband, uh, there had to be adultery or uh, there had to be some, well, I mean, this is that there had to be a sense of uh, he had to have been sleeping with another man's wife and she had to have found out about it. Not him sleeping with just anyone it had to be somebody else's property. Uh, so it, it, was a, it was an interesting, interesting problem. So in the Roman Empire, uh, there was more of an understanding of relationships there. Um, oh, they had many. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, they, they definitely could have multiple wives um, and they and they were encouraged to you know because the, the more wives that you can have the bigger the empire of, of Israel will become however Rome just thought it was great because the more of them uh, that that you produce the more workers we have at a, at a, at a lower cost you know so uh, even though the infant mortality rate was so high, they, the, it was not a problem for them to be married to multiple people. So, again, another problem that we face sociologically with this idea of one man, one woman. Um, 
the and it was not it was not a contract based marriage like we have in the United States. Um, the, the whole idea of the ceremony of marriage, for example, really was created in about the 18th century. I mean, I'm I'm just I have no qualms saying this to you. This idea of being able to be married for love uh, is an 18th century concept. Nobody did that um, at all. Uh, the, the idea of the wedding ceremony being biblical, completely not true at all. Uh, actually, biblically, marriage uh, was, like I said, was a property exchange in the Hebrew Bible. People did it because it was out of obligation. But in the New Testament, one of the struggles that we have is, is that Jesus only talks about the church being his bride, like that's his language. <clears throat> and Paul is completely adamantly opposed to being married because human beings cannot express the love that God has for each other. Uh, it's just impossible. It, I can't express the love of God that God has for me to someone else, according to Paul. So the whole idea of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is being the definition of love. Well, he's saying, here's why this is hard. This is why it's almost impossible for human beings to do it. Because love is patient and kind. Name one relationship that that happens all the time. You have to be a slave, doulos, to, to one another. Uh, you, you can't physically do that. Like, you know, it's so Paul, <clears throat> Paul struggles with this idea of marriage. And, and the only reason I'm bringing up Paul is, is because Paul was written before the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew's readers would have known about the, the letters of Paul. Um, and so marriage, obviously, from an anthropological lens, is something that they're discussing in the church at this time. What does marriage mean? How does it work? And Matthew does not give us any answers. He just says what it's not starting in chapter 19 and he, and he starts off right off the bat about teaching about divorce um go ahead um if the woman divorced the man yeah which was very rare very rare uh so that it would it's called leveret marriage so if she divorces the the man it would all of the property you know, he still keeps the property so she's she just still she she goes back to her parents but so the, I guess where it's headed at, there is no reason right. to get a divorce for the woman. No, just for their, her own life. Man probably just loves fighting. I mean, right. It's just, yeah, he, and he could do that. You know, like the, for example, exactly. And that's used all the way through the, this power struggle thing. You know, like the word rape is not mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. We don't have that word in Hebrew. So like if a woman was being abused physically or sexually or anything to that nature, uh, that's on her. That's her problem. And, and so this this is becoming a problem in the first century, by the way. All of a sudden, the first century is like, now wait a minute. If Paul tells us that we're supposed to express God's love in such a way that we take care of God's creation, that means that we should not be harming God's creation. Um, and how do we do that in a relationship that has always been created, as Pam used, of power? Uh, there's a power dynamic that is being shifted here. So this passage is huge. This is a really big deal, and it's not something that we want to just kind of, 
well, you know, divorce is bad. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I've been in this long enough to know that there are times that people uh, should never have gotten married in the first place. And um, the eyes of God, uh, Paul is very clear that if you're going to get married, that, that it's impossible to live with the love that God has for us. But if you do get married, he says, if you do, you strive for those things every single day. Yeah. That's right. If you if you have to get married because you love each other, if you do, then that's your goal. And your goal is to share that love with one another until your your last breath. He doesn't uh, say because you love each other. He says if you can't, if you're going to sin. <laughs> that's right. If you're going to sin, that's God. Now you get married. That's right. Thank you. <clears throat> so since you're going to get married, <clears throat> let's not have you sin before God. Before. It's because of love. That's right. Yeah. It's because he doesn't. Again, there's no. There's no love there, right? Like it's just, but if, if, if you're going to get married so that you refuse to sin before God, then let's do that. Uh, uh, so this, this passage is much, much more uh, important for us. And it's important for us to recognize that the Pharisees are using this as another trap for Jesus. Uh, because in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's very clear how you can get divorced. In the first century, the Pharisees are challenging Jesus. That's their old role in Matthew, to challenge Jesus to show how Torah doesn't work. Does that make sense? Sorry, it was a long discussion, but I, I just, I don't ever want to avoid this discussion ever. Okay, so if, if marriage was a loveless thing in these days, that kind of changes the meaning of Jesus referring to the church as the bride. Well, they, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Well, that's because we understand bride as someone we love. To them, that wasn't a problem. They're, they're his partner. They're, they're his equal. That's, that's how he's looking at it in the first century. For us, uh, we have emotion. Um, the, remember, the, the logic of the first century was we got to preach this word to as many people as possible there may have been emotion uh, through the words, but <clears throat> not necessarily in the actions. Um, for us, it's very important, and that's okay. That's that's fine. I, I have no problems referring to it as, as the bride of Christ. But the the this is where nuns come in. This is you know that they're married uh, to the church. Some say, well, they're married to they're Jesus, Christ. married to Christ. They are. They're married as in the sense of. Their whole life is devoted to him. Very biblical understanding. Does that help? Well, I have two stories of weddings with Jesus. Well, but he's not really involved. Well, he's just there. Fair <laughs> added that there were wedding celebrations so that they did have big celebrations. Yes, they absolutely had. They had big celebrations and ceremonies. Because um, it was a rite of passage also. So you want to take like bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, all of those are huge rites of passage. Uh, and sometimes, I think my favorite part about that statement is, is that sometimes they were festive. Sometimes it worked out where the couple actually got along, the families got along, and they wanted to celebrate, you know. Uh, sometimes it was to show who had more money than the other. In the gospel lessons, especially Luke, like the wedding feast in Canaan, uh, there's a, it's a miracle story, not about the wedding, 
right? He can turn water into wine. Um, and he does it because his mom asks him to. And then he says, but that's it. Like that's, thanks mom, I'll do this here. But after that, I have to do what God has asked me to do. <clears throat> so there's a transitional story there, but not, and it's easy for us to do it and it's okay to do it that way. But anthropologically, the struggle that we have with separating those things is the understanding of the 19th and 20th century understanding of weddings. Um, they did not have that. Uh, there were festivals, festivities and <clears throat> feasts, but I think it's the beautiful part about how this we read the scripture is, is that even in the midst of all their pain, sorrow, and grief, they had a party, and Jesus was able to be there. And in that moment, Jesus made the party even better because of his presence. He turned the, the mundane into the miraculous. And it was even better than what the empire could provide. But remember the story that he turns the water into wine and they say, this is even better than what we had before. Like that language there, that's on purpose. All right. Questions, comments? Remember, Think Pharisee, think Jesus being in charge of empire. <clears throat> so when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he cured them there. Some Pharisees came to him, and to test him, see, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And according to Leviticus, uh, or is it Deuteronomy? Yeah. Does it say in yours? It doesn't say. It's Deuteronomy. No, it's got to be Juno. <clears throat> I'll find it later. It, it, he answered, have you not read that one who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be, now this should be the word cleaved, joined to his. Oh, face the talk. It says joined and then the lexicon said fastened together. Fastened together. Yeah, that's another one. Uh, fastened to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is fully Torah. Uh, that, that comes directly from Torah. And then he says, so that they are no longer two, uh, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no human separate, or as we say in the, in the, in the wedding, <laughs> no, let, no, no, nothing come asunder, or let no man put asunder. <clears throat> Then they said to him, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? See how the Pharisees are tripping them up with the law thing? He said, and notice that they used Moses, not, not them. <laughs> the priests are on the road, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, in the name of Moses. Uh, he said to them, it was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Ding, 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 ding. But he said to them, not everyone can accept this teaching, but only to those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been born so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made by eunuchs by others. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, let anyone accept this. Uh, let anyone who accept this who can. That's a huge 
huge deal with the Unix. Uh, he said that people that chose voluntary celibacy were better. Did you catch that? This this is a this this is identifying identifying people separated from the empire that receive their power, receive their affection. It would be better for them to just to never have had any type of uh, relationship. Questions? Now the problem with this passage is what? In the 20th century. Born a eunuch. Today's divorce is very easy. Sorry, babe. And we don't consider that a person who remarries commits adultery. Some folk, some churches do. Some churches say that if you get remarried after being divorced, uh, you're committing adultery and therefore it's a sin. Which is what he said. So it's the literal translation, not. And then they took out all the other stuff we just talked about for 15 Yeah. It, it says because of ink. Reasons is that stating that you're doing it because of heaven, not that heaven's causing it. Yeah, if, if, if you just have it, it's bad self. I think it could be an easy way. But I think what they're saying is that they're doing it because of their devotion to God. Right. I'm trying to make sure I, I don't. Take you down a rabbit trail. I would think eunuchs who were either born or made that way by men couldn't have gone into temple because they were not holy. Uh, it's a good statement. What's her statement? If if you were made, if you were born eunuch or made that way by men, you couldn't have gone into temple because you weren't whole. You weren't a whole man. So the difference between eunuch and celibacy. Right. Right. And then but then he says at the end, those who have made themselves eunuchs. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. I think of the physical aspect of That's right. I Dr. Carter says that, that that phrase is those that have chosen themselves. Okay. So there's a there's a pocket of people in the first century, again, that we're not this is the rabbit trail I'm trying to be careful like of. The Essenes. Yes, like the Essenes and they're uh, they're Nazarites. Nazarites have separated themselves from the community. They've chosen a life of celibacy. They live purely on the, it looks like, it sounds like John the Baptist. So, so, uh, the word eunuch is what we get from the Greek because it's I know it's not, but shouldn't that be what the Pharisees are also? I mean, I know, I, I, I know there's, there's two different roads they're taking there, but shouldn't they be so so devoted to God that yeah. they're they could yeah? Well, this is this is the extreme uh, counter argument that Jesus is making to the people that are trying to test him. You know, you you have chosen this life as a Pharisee. The, the people may have thought about you as being somebody, but uh, you you are a Pharisee, 
and your life is so confused that you would rather focus in on tests than your devotion to God, which would then make sense why you have the eunuch in the discussion. If they choose to make themselves this way, uh, that's a pretty big commitment, according to them in the first century. Very carnal, visceral lifestyle. Uh, there's another problem to this. What is the most important thing about Jewish, the Jewish culture is, is that they continue to propagate. At some point, Abraham's going to have more ancestors than the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. Hmm? Descendants. Descendants. So we got to have descendants. So if we're choosing not to do this, well, you know, you better have a good reason. And if you're going to get divorced, here's the things. Now, divorce is not, is, is, is more, it, it's giving them, not us, it's giving them language to protect those out of, that are without power. This is your, this is your get out of jail moment. It's supposed to be empowering, not uh, suffocating, that I think that we did in the 20th century. It was supposed to say, uh, women, if, you, if you, you can get out of this, you know, you guys can get out of this. You don't have to play this game. And here's, here's your proof. Uh, the, the, the committing adultery thing, this is the language that they would use directly found in Deuteronomy. Um, yeah, 24. Yeah. 24. So this, this uh, the adultery thing, this is the language that they would hear and they would recognize. The problem with it again is this adultery's definition uh, has always kind of been the same with the exception of the intent, right? In the first century, a man could sleep with anyone he wanted to. If he slept with another man's wife, that's considered adultery. If a woman did that, she's an adulteress. And what they do is, is they call her a prostitute. If she's been married more than one time, she's a She's a, you know, she's a harlot. That's, I mean, that's, that's, I don't want to be graphic, but that's really what's happening. This is all her law. This is all, yeah, and he's twisting it. You're trying to test us with our own law. Well, let me show you how that law works in your face. You're a Pharisee, and you, yourselves, have multiple wives. There's no way that you can say that you do all of this stuff. And I love the fact that he brings up the certificate. We have no proof that they actually handed out pieces of paper. This paper was expensive, but, you know, whatever. And I couldn't write either. Let's not forget that part. I have a paper. I have a paper. Well, you mean in the first century, they couldn't write. That's right. That's right. Right. So. Right. The only ones that handed out paper? Rome. Yeah, at least. Yeah, that dude. The birth certificate is Biblion. So how would that work? Why did that translate the to certificate? Scroll. Yeah, I was going to say scroll would work there, but yeah. certificate. That is a god awful translation. Yeah. Yeah, it could it could have been. I mean, the the language leads to that, but it doesn't. It, there there is a there's a a moment there where we think it happened, but not necessarily all the time. Just had to have a witness. 
you didn't have to have two like a dip. Right. <laughs> or a quart. Yeah, you could literally say it at lunch. Like it was really that loose. Um, in casual conversation. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think oh, that's by the way. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and, and I think that's also what's happening here is to say, look, look, look you can't do that anymore. Like this, there's got to be reasons for that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. Twenty-four one in Deuteronomy. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent to her, and he writes a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and then they talk about her becoming a wife of another man, she gets him a divorce and her life is back. And the certificate of divorce, death. So they translated the certificate in the Old Testament to just like they could they could make tablets and they could make scrolls out of scans or something, but they wouldn't have bothered to put the verses on that. He had many wives anyway. I don't know why he bothered with the person one. They needed chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a dry erase. A dry erase board. <laughs> you know, men always could have multiple wives, but the wife never had multiple husbands. No. No. Yeah. No. I know. Sure. Huh? You said that was Deuteronomy 24 1. Oh, that's right. I was just checking something. That a man takes Isha, the birth that happens, and she finds her. That's right after. I was just looking at it. Yeah, but it's still at the beginning of the verse. It's not. I was looking for certificate. Yeah, it's still in verse one, I think. Yeah, it's still in verse one. And he writes separate. Yeah, it's a certificate. That's weird. Yeah, it's in verse one. So what they did is they translated the Hebrew into English and then they translated it to the Greek here place, which is why they're quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Because it's it's it said it there too. It's, it's said it there too. Interesting. So what's the Hebrew word? Separate. Oh. A certificate. Oh. It's okay. a masculine noun. Okay. So I would have tried it trip Jesus said. It's just change. Nope, doesn't no, change they anything. Didn't, they didn't really care about what went on. They just cared about trying to trip Jesus. I, I guess they really weren't concerned about the verse. We have all of these things the man was proposing. I just wondered why this was even in there. I think there's also this language of church and human. It means something for us today. I'm, I'm, but when yeah. it was written. I don't see that it changed much. What if we flip it? So like Dr. Carter said, something to the effect of <clears throat> it gets to that part where the when one and the other become one flesh, right? And let no one uh, separate it. This, this language then becomes how the church is with God. 
if Matthew is establishing what the church is supposed to look at, and we literally call it the bride of Christ, then we have become one flesh doing what God has asked us to do. So in the first century, that would have made sense. Back to that. Think about the Holy Spirit in the best century. Yes. I mean, yes. This. I mean, there's now part of that. I mean, they, right. So now, now if if he if he if he's just saying, as humans, you've separated yourself from this, and you separated yourself from the empire, or you are now becoming a part of God's church. You are part of the bride of Christ. Uh, let no one separate them. And he's using their words to create a new understanding. And the only problem that we run into with that, and then Dr. Carter goes into great detail about how, uh, how that works, but then he talks about that he has a whole two pages on the aspect of adultery. Uh, he says, I, I'm, and I just want to read just a little bit, for example. If you said, he, he, that's where his goal is, is he's saying it's making the churches one. Uh, he says, it's provoked much debate about the unchastity adultery line. He says, it does not mean including adultery, forbidding divorce, even in situations of adultery or setting aside adultery in the sense of a parenthesis whereby adultery is not discussed by the verse. Some have suggested a reference to insects as defined in Leviticus chapter 18. Uh, while the world word has wide meaning, the context here of marriage con confirms the meaning of adultery. The acceptive sense is the most convincing. Divorce is not permitted except in situations of, adul uh, of adultery or to restate it. Divorce is permitted in circumstances of infidelity. So Joseph, uh, concerned with adultery, refers to the seventh commandment. Also difficult is the reference to remarriage. Uh, and then he goes into this whole thing. If, if, if they marry another, then it's, he says it's, it's not the same as the way we've translated it. And I'm just summarizing. Uh, just want to make sure I get this right. So the disciples' response in chapter 19, verses 10, uh, but it, it's not only about restricting divorce, but it's also about restricting marriage. That becomes the goal for this conversation. Um, according to Dr. Carter. They would have seen it. We're specifically talking about Jewish marriage, right? Right. Still, yeah, there's only one God controlling this. Married in the wrong temple. I didn't even recognize that as marriage before God. Right. There just would be the contract. I mean, they, they agree to have it easier. This is another problem that we have culturally. So we married in the temple anyway because the women were allowed Yeah, I'm just... <laughs> yeah, like, they, you have to be married in their certain way. Uh, in the in the Roman world, you could get married however you want. You just had to have somebody sign on the peace. Literally, the justice of the peace. So, so... There's not getting too too large here. There's not a whole lot of married women out there for the Jews. 
No. I mean, they're not. For them to sleep with another man's wife. That is correct. Uh, that's there's always a loophole. That was the path I was going down. So there's it's it's being elevated in their eyes, is what I'm trying to say. I mean yes. they're, they're, you know, it is something for them to be married with their daughter. Yes. I mean, which it should be, but again I'm trying to make that Which is really hard. If Robert's married to me and to two other women, and you're married to become one flesh, does that mean that I'm also one flesh with the other two women? This becomes a huge discussion in the in, in the throughout the Hebrew Bible. Uh, there's a lot of midrashic information about this, um, and so there's becomes a hierarchical structure with the marriages. Uh, so there's the first wife who's always the the primary, and then she's the one. If something happens to her, then it becomes number two, and then number three, and it's literally how that works. It makes it a lot easier for me to set up Solomon. It's outrageous. I know yeah. Because if they weren't married, if if the marriage was the contract between the two countries, then they're not worried about that. That's right. If if it was to another Jewish woman, then they wouldn't have But as long as she had been married before, then they're still in debt. Yes, and I think the other thing that this does before we, because we're going to finish chapter 19, believe it or not, because it's not that long of a chapter, but the, the biggest part here is, is it also gives you the benefit at the end to say, and you don't have to get married. That's the part I want you all to grasp from this, is, is that, yeah, this all happens. All of that marriage discussion happens, divorce happens, but you you can choose not to get married, and that is totally fine. If you can accept it, then accept that's right. If that is who you are, then let it go. Let anyone accept this who can. Yeah. So it gives them uh, room also to say, I don't want to get married. Well, you don't have to. There are people that choose to not be married. You choose to not have procreate. You choose people that you, you don't have to do that. God still sees you as a, a viable part of the creation. Yeah. That would only be true for men at the moment, right? Because right. Because women could make that choice. Well, and the beautiful part, I think that the the gospel writer is doing this is that if it's there and he leaves it very open, he doesn't say that he leaves it, he leaves it open so that it could be interpreted both ways. Because when, then we know for a fact that there were women that chose not to get married that led churches, you know. That's true. Uh, so Priscilla, Aquila, I mean, like all of Prisca, uh, Aquila, they, well, Prisca, we know had her own church and chose to not do it. Persephone. I mean, like, there's not Persephone. Uh, there's another name with P. I always get her messed up. Yeah. But the there were there are people in the first century that chose this lifestyle uh, and become our uh, our modern day nuns. So this writer's brilliant. I know, right? Matthew is just a brilliant writer altogether. Just brilliant. Uh, so, which speaks of, let's go to the next line. Then little children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. 
The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, that Jesus said, let the children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. So here's Jesus blessing little children who have no leadership. Did you catch that? Their innocence, their naivete, their coming. The only ones that chew them down are the adult people, the Pharisees. Those that want to hear the word of God will be invited to hear the word of God. Um, so, um, then someone came to him and said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Listen to that language. It went right into Rabbi, uh, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to them, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter his, um, into, enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's only 613. And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You see a theme going on here? Uh -huh. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, I love that. What is the translation? Complete. complete. Uh, if you want to be complete, nice. Uh, sell all of, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. Then he said to the disciples, Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals, it is impossible. Uh, but for God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you will have followed me. Uh, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, uh, sorry. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So uh, he ends chapter 19, renewing all things. Uh, but their judging is not about domination. It's, it's about being a participant that puts Jews and Gentiles together. Like this, this is a big deal. Um, yeah, I want to I want to just stop there. Not not stop the recording because we're gonna keep going. It's really not that crazy, right? This is where we get the go sell all your possessions, come and follow me. Uh, a rich man doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there is a little bit of a nod here for those people that are in uh, that are hearing this. 
Uh, there really was a needle gate outside Jerusalem that was small. It wasn't very big. A uh, camel would not have fit through there. Um, that's on purpose. Um, it's it's kind of closed now. Like we know where it was. Everybody knew where it was, uh, but you can't you can't go through it anymore. Uh, kind of like you can't go through the. That's that's right. So yeah, too much money. yeah, someone would say that. Yes, yes. Um. Pretty straightforward, but the rest is pretty radical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was huge. You're abandoning your whole family. I think I have heard it said from some of my professors that sometimes the the goal was to pull out of Jerusalem. Like this idea of just get out away from the Roman Empire and remember our roots of being a nomad. Um, I've, I've heard it said that there's a call for that throughout the Gospels to, to get out from underneath the empire and to travel and only live off of what God provides. Uh, I think this gives us a little bit of credence for that. Um, I don't know if it necessarily, it, it's not necessarily a viable option at that time. So, Okay, let's keep going. If you guys are, if you all are okay. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the the field. Oh, laborers for his vineyard. Sorry, Betty keeps getting kicked out. So <clears throat> after agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again, and about noon, and about three o'clock, he did the same thing. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, well, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock, each of them received the usual daily wage. And when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to you to this last the same as I give to you. And am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Yep. Uh, I never liked that one because I would be the one who wants to work all day and get fussed because they only got one denarius and the others got one denarius also. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that. What's the breakfast saying? Why, why are they getting paid the same that I'm getting paid? That's, I, that's right. Well, non-equal pay always bothered me. 
and it was always true. Mm -hmm. And those people that were standing around idle at 12 and 3 and 5 obviously had been there earlier because he would have hired them then. He would have done all at the same time. So obviously they stayed in bed until noon or mm -hmm. 5 or then. Again, he goes into a great detail about how this worked in the empire, especially with the idea of uh, unequal pay and unequal wages. It's supposed to be as ludicrous to us as it was to them. Um, because what was happening is this was happening with Rome all the time. Um, and they had enough money to do that. The other part that's fascinating about this is this landowner had enough money to pay anybody. Yeah. Right, and, and that he was paying them a day's wage. It was just a subsistence level, but he was he paid them all. He he could do that. That's supposed to be. Mm. So who's the man that we're supposed to be? Don't know. It, it, and he doesn't he doesn't go into detail on that. Uh, he says in he he says it demonstrates the surprising way in which these households embodied God's empire and challenge conventional structures and practices. That's it. Okay. You're like, the man doesn't be God. See, that's a beautiful way to preach that. I, I would I would go with that 100%. Like, that's a really nice way to read that. Um, I'm okay with that one. It's when it gets to money. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's the money problem. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Right, right. Well, I, I think it's interesting that he has this story and then he goes directly into foretelling his death and yeah. resurrection again. Yeah. Because we don't know what order. It may just be how Matthew remembered him. It doesn't have anything to do with necessarily the order. Yeah, there's yeah, not, not an order. order. Yeah. yeah, there's de there's definitely a and he says after this. Uh, you know, we were just talking a while ago about divorce and, and marriage and that brought up scriptures references to Canaan and the other which weren't in the same place. If I'm writing this and I'm writing about one thing it's like, oh yeah, and then there was this. Yeah. And yeah. Then it goes along with it. And then may not have been I remember back and yeah. back at the same time. It starts out though <clears throat> when for the kingdom of heaven is like the way. Yeah. Is is like it so it's for everyone. That's you could definitely I mean like I said that's a these are really good ways to preach that. And I think this is a given, right? Like this is the hope. The, I think the focus is, so the last will be first and the first will be last. They're reiterating that point. Because he's going to do, I think he said something similar to that later on. But let's keep going, because we're, we're, we're doing really good in time. While Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves and said, said to them on the way, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, Remember, this Matthew is focused in on Son of Man language, not Son of God. Son of God comes in the Gospel of John and some in uh, Matthew and Luke, but not here. Will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. Then the mothers of sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him, uh, asked a favor of him. He said to her, what do you want? 
She said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right and one at your left. Now remember, in Gospel of Luke, this is a different story. Uh, this is mom talking about it here. Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup about which I'm about to drink? Uh, they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. This should be Dulos. It's Dulos. Ah, that's what I wanted to hear you say. I knew it was in this place. I remember us talking about that last week. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then I'm just going to finish chapter 20 just for the sake of continuity. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly ordered them to be quiet, but they shouted even more loudly, have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Jesus stood still and called them, saying, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. And immediately, they regained their sight and followed him. So, this hierarchical structure is, is being brought up. Uh, who, who gets to serve? Jesus is obviously saying, you really don't know what you're asking. Uh, it's a very human request. This is very different than the Gospel of Luke's story. Uh, but the end result is the same, you know. Just who, who introduces it is different. Um, it's interesting that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' mother is more involved, but in the Gospel of Matthew, you, she's not really brought up very much except the birth narrative. So, and the death, that's right. Yeah, she's Was he? Was she there? When they It's, I think you might be right. I don't know. It gets kind of blurry. She's pretty bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus's mom doesn't hold any punches, and uh, especially Are you talking about James and John's mother? or James, James and John's, John's mom. Mother. Yeah, this one does is weird. And they're that, called sons of thunder. There's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely sons of thunder on purpose. Um, so I think we'll 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 stop there today. Uh. I, I just want us to kind of keep this idea of how this is, if, if you remember, remember we're looking at this in a different lens. If Jesus is creating a new empire and his disciples are his followers, right? They're the ones that are going to take the empire to the next level. It's as if he's giving them all the tools to lead, uh, even to the point. Notice that James and John are the two people who want to sit at the right hand and the left hand of the throne. And the next story happens to be two blind men that need to be healed so that their eyes would be open. That is not coincidence. <laughs> Have you ever read the, the, the book 
come to Christmas candle. And a, a rich man is on his way home, and he is, is he has a lantern with a candle, and the candle goes out. He stops the chandler, some of the helpers, and the candle stops the chandler. He says, I need a candle. And he says, Oh, you come here. Anyway, finally, the chandler says, What is it that you wish? He says, I wish for illumination. And so he gives him this candle, and when he leaves, he sees the poor, like his sister's face, and the poor. He sees his brother's face, and someone else's. And he, his whole life is transformed because of the illumination that is a cool story. But that's uh, a really good reference to what's happening here. James and John are literally sitting there. None of them are understanding what they're asking. And at the same time, at the end of the story, the idea is, is that these people will be able to see. See what's actually happening in front of them. Which makes sense then when he goes from the laborers to the video, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is light. That's my favorite thing Matthew does. Kingdom of heaven is light. And then he goes into, uh, and then I'm going to die. You, you all need to remember this. This is coming. And, and then he says that, and then automatically they're like, well, they're vying for power. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going who's to make this happen? The sons of thunder should, right? Like they're the ones that are going to cause all the waves. And then it goes directly into, yeah, but they're kind of blind. They're not actually seeing what the ministry is really happening. It's brilliant, brilliant writing. Before we stop the recording, from here on is the passion narrative. So Matthew goes directly from, from 21. He's, it's, his, it's about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and it becomes the passion narrative. Uh, so this is, this is the Easter stuff. Um, and and uh, Matthew, this the, the hardest part about this discussion is remember me saying every time we have a homogenized understanding of the Bible. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as our gospel in our brain. Matthew's goals are going to be different than Luke's, Mark's, and, and John's. The end result is the same, you see. But I'm going to be hypercritical on the differences of them. Because Matthew wants us to see things differently than the other two because he doesn't care about the other two at this point. He knows that Mark, what Mark has said, but he has a different um, goal at the, end, at the end of this. So that being said, I will. See the BF tomorrow. I have a lesson and I'm doing a narrative of Mary at the time of the crucifixion. Yeah, that's exactly what we do.